Shall the youth of Zion falter in defending truth and right? Will the enemy assail it? Shall we shrink or shun the fight? No! <laughs> true, true to the faith that our parents have cherished. True to the truth for which martyrs Jordan Peterson, you've said that men need to, quote, grow the hell up. Tell me why. Well, because there's nothing uglier than an old infant. Hey. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland. And what do you do when you've been raised your entire life to believe in absolute truth? And then you find that the absolute capital T truth that you were wisely building your foundation upon isn't quite as absolute or capital T-ish as all that. Does it make you want to not wake up in the morning like i don't think that i'm ever gonna get up at six and help somebody move <laughs> does it make you not want to do service for others like helping your friends move anymore think about it like how much how much like in interpersonal service have you done since you left the mormon community and didn't and no longer thought oh i'm gonna i'm gonna literally go and he- go to heaven and like create a universe does it make you question the nature of truth altogether? It's still bullshit. and like, What does that mean, bullshit? What do you mean it's bullshit? Now, on last week's episode, you may have heard Tom and I briefly discuss Jordan Peterson and his discussion about truth with Sam Harris. Well, today, Tom and I are joined by Bob and Jake to flush this idea of truth out a bit more, or to flush it right down the toilet, bits of corn and all. You're welcome, Tom. You decide. You can decide what we what we're doing. You can decide the truth of things because that's what truth is. It's just whatever you decide, right? Isn't that the nature of truth? Anyway, if you like this conversation and would like to hear more like these, please consider supporting us on Patreon for as little as one dollar per episode, up to whatever monthly limit you decide. And for those of you already on Patreon, I'm putting together a little bonus follow-up Jordan Peterson and Truth episode just for you. But for now, let's get to today's discussion. Tom, why don't you start us off? So I definitely want to hear you guys' take. Just a little bit of background. If you guys are all swept up in the wave of Jordan Peterson, if you're now one of his cronies. (laughs) Um, And also, because I think that most of us are probably Sam Harris fans, but I definitely want to hear if you if any of you disagree with him fundamentally, I guess, or even substantially, especially on that particular conversation, because I think that'd be helpful to kind of give us a bearing of where we all stand. Uh, Jake and I talked a little bit about it, um, but, you know, he's, what did you say, that you're still relatively new to Jordan Peterson? Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know a lot about Jordan Peterson. I mean, I know of him because he's been kind of in the zeitgeist over the past year or so. But like, I don't know. I'm really engaged with his stuff directly. And I know, was it Glenn? You you said that you were pretty familiar with him. Did you read his book? Um, I got halfway through his book, audio book, and I had to stop listening because his voice drives me nuts. Um, his voice, not yeah. the content. The content. <laughs> The, the, the content is thought provoking. And uh-huh. so I like that. I, it's, it's intellectually stimulating, you know, and <laughs> there's, there's things I agree with. There's things that I really have a hard time with. And then I think about it more and I go, Oh, well maybe I was wrong, you know? And so there's, I like it cause it makes me think, but, um, yeah, I, I, I heard him on a, um, uh, Russell Brand podcast. I think that was the first time I heard him. I, I just saw like the first time I ever saw anything about him was a little video on Facebook where some uh, news reporter was trying to pin him down as like being uh, anti-feminist or something like that. But you're saying basically it doesn't matter if women aren't getting to the top because that's what's skewing that gender pay gap, isn't it? You're saying, well, that's just a fact of no, life. Women aren't necessarily matter. going to get to the top. No, I'm not saying it doesn't matter either. You're saying, I'm saying there are multiple life. reasons for it. Other than that, um, I, I listened to this podcast uh, with Sam Harris uh, a month or two ago, and then again today, just in preparation for this conversation. But I, I don't know Jordan Peterson that much, and I don't have any skin in the game with him. All right. What about you, Bob? So I've read his book in its entirety, um, and I really liked it. Uh, Actually read it too, right? Yeah, like words nice. on the page sort of read. Nice. Wow, um, old school. Old school, <laughs> marking it up and all the good stuff. I think he's got a lot of wisdom. I think he's got a lot of good things to say. And probably my, my favorite thing about him is he's like the current reigning champion for most misunderstood. Mm. Um, so he's the guy that's the catalyst for everyone else looking like idiots way more than he ever looks like an idiot himself. Though I wouldn't put it past him. We all have our, our moments when we're not at our best. But, but it's just so funny to see him be the reason other people you know, get all flustered and then start making really basic mistakes when it comes to debating or having coherent thoughts. So I find that fascinating. He's super misunderstood and is kind of this perpetual villain for a lot of the left, if I can use that broad term. Um, so that's interesting to me. He's really critical of the left though, too. So he kind of opens yeah. himself up for it. Yeah. yeah, he does. But even if he opens himself up for it, that's no excuse to like you know, have a faulty argument in response, which the left is, is really being challenged by him because very few people have effectively, you know, brought it back to him on a level that's, that's even reasonable. So I, yeah. I think that's interesting that he's finding a lot of these ways in which the left thinks they have, have the problems of the world solved, but then they don't necessarily because he's challenging a lot of them. And I know I'm, I'm super in like abstract land here. I, I don't know, I guess at one point we should get specific, but um, all that said, for as much as I'm praising him, I actually, um, I, I find Sam Harris's way of thinking more compelling. So I am more of a Sam Harris fan, um, but I don't, I don't find those two mutually exclusive. Like it, when they go head to head, I lean more Sam Harris, but I still really like what Jordan Peterson has to say. Um, and not to like pin a rose on my nose, but I, I, I got to see them live just like a week or three weeks ago. I saw them live in Vancouver and it was really interesting. And, and both... Both Did of you them say had pin their, a rose on your nose. Yeah, you remember that phrase, right? I don't. I've like, never heard that. You never heard that where you're like, <laughs> pin, pin, I'm going to pin a rose on my nose. I'm, 
I'm like kind of rousing my nose for what I've done in my life. <laughs> Have you guys seen Sam and uh, Jordan live before? <laughs> Is that what it you sounds know? like when you have a rose pinned on your nose? Yeah, yeah, that's the voice and everything. You've okay. never... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to say, <laughs> you know, it's the thing that, you know, I'm, I'm bringing up to give myself credibility, but I want to be self-aware that that's not really all that credible. I just saw them live and paid money for it. That's all that happened. Well, I, <laughs> I definitely want to hear it. Did they, did they re, reintroduce the topic of truth? Did they even breach that topic? No, they kind of almost tabled it up front and said that we just fundamentally view the, the definition of truth differently. And uh, they just went at it more practically and, and didn't get bogged down like they did in that episode. Um, and, and by the way, they have a follow-up episode to the one we're going to discuss tonight, which I think is a little better. Um, but this first one was kind of monumental because it's like the two great minds come together and then it's just this giant clusterfuck where they don't get past each other and they can't agree on basic terms. And it's just kind of funny because for as smart as they both are, they really just go around and around in circles. But I guess we'll get into that. Yeah, but the follow-up doesn't really even broach truth really it, yeah you're right it was he sam yeah. harrison uh we didn't really get to talk about some of the more ta- you know more uh, expertise topics that you're you know experienced in jordan so let's talk about that it seemed like they just subverted the the truth thing altogether to me oh i thought about midway through they got into it again but in a, in a much more productive way because they'd learned from the mistakes of the first one and Jordan Peterson brought it up a little bit because it, it applied to what they were saying about religion and Christianity and whatever. But anyway, are we uh, just, just as a check on the topic, I, I don't know if it's worth like contextualizing where they fit in the larger. Have you, did you guys read that New York times article on the intellectual dark web and this new, you know, emergence of personalities that are not beholden to a network or a 20 minute new show where everything has to be a five minute interview blurb. And now it's all this long form discussions. I haven't read it, but I know it's been referenced a lot in podcasts I've been listening to. I guess Rogan's in there. Shapiro's yeah. In there. Dave Rubin's in there. Yep. Yep. It's, it's quite the cast of characters and they all adamantly disagree with each other, which is kind of uh, ironic because Again, most of the left sort of groups them together in this weird way. Like, these people say things that we don't know how to deal with and we disagree with. Wait, wait, is that what they say? Because it seems like the left say that a lot of them call them alt-right. Well, that's, right? that's the most extreme. That's like the lefties of the left will just revert to that and they'll be like, they're alt-right. And that's completely inaccurate and just is just a position that is lazy and means like, oh, so you're like alt-left if you're going to go that way. I mean, I could describe titles just as fast as they can but neither neither way it's help is it helpful because they're definitely not all right they all disown and discredit or or distance themselves from most of the alt-right tenants which we could get into but it is funny how because there's this spectrum of of approaches to this type of um philosophy if you're closer on the spectrum to the side that's this this side that's super evil for a lot of people or for all of us really i mean nobody wants to be associated with the alt-right if but if you're like closer to them somehow than somebody else, then the person who's not as close to them as you gets to call you all right. And it's just this weird, like, Oh, well, it's yeah. not just, I mean, it's not just that. Um, I don't think it's just that. I mean, I think that there is like a correlation there in the sense of they are grabbing like it, it, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro's content is being, ingested and retweeted and like a, a, you know a fairly large contingent of their adherence and their core audience is in that like 
alt-right and not, not in, not in like a euphemistic way or not in a way that's like, like self-described alt-right. Like that, yeah. there, there is a correlation there. Like it's, even though if they, even if they skew, and I don't want to pin them all with the same brush, but even if they skew the alt-right's philosophy, um, you know, they're, they're, it's not out of nowhere that people are drawing those, those yeah. Says the one skin head sitting next to the other skin head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ooh. Um, I, I think they're... they're yeah, yeah not, they're, not, not to tie a, a stick to my dick, but I am... <laughs> or pin a rose on your nose, perhaps. <laughs> not to throw a pie in my eye. But, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, much, I'm much better looking than the skin head, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a good... Uh, if, if I were to subscribe to the alt-right, I'd want it to be you. Um, <laughs> is that a compliment? I don't know, but um, no. But I think there are two things there that you said that are worth parsing out. I think um, one of them is that they get blamed for their audience. So they do a lot of these people, less Sam Harris and more Peterson and Rubin and some of these others. They get like some overlap from the alt right in terms of the, the audience that they serve, and they don't necessarily disown them left and right you know, every episode, if somebody's listening to them and, and it just so happens to be alt writers, I mean, it's still listeners. And, and, you know, so there's, there's this contingent of the left that really wants them to like own that, like you're responsible for these people who listen to you, who, you know, you don't agree with, or it's not your philosophy that's rooted in what they believe. But since they listen to you, you're to blame for what they think about what they get from how they listen to you. And they're like, wait, 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 let's talk about the substance of my argument, not like they're pouring gas on the fire kind of thing that that's criticism yeah. Jordan Peterson gets. Right. Right. Yeah. I- exactly. Um, but the, Peterson is very careful with his words. And if you actually right. parse them out and listen, I mean, yeah, alt writers can take it and spin it whatever way they want. But you know, if you corner Peterson, which Harris does sometimes you, you get out of him that he's not, he, he's not all that crazy. Actually. It's just, it, <laughs> it just, it's more how he's positioned based on how people write about him and, and who listens to him more than it is what he actually says. That's the problem. So anyway, I don't know where that leaves us, but um, yeah, I think like in a post more, at least for me, this is like really fascinating stuff because they're all sort of circling around this idea of like, you know, what's the meaning of a good life? How do we make sense as humanity as to what our place is in the universe? Like, you know, they're all grappling with the big themes that of course, have come way before them, but, but they're doing it in a compelling way. That's kind of like post religion, um, independent of, of, um, stakeholders that they have to serve and kind of long form conversations, which is sort of exciting. And, and I, and Joe Rogan's in that category. I don't know if we mentioned him, but he's, he's also kind of gotten into hot water, um, for all the same stuff, but he's, he's actually one of the more benign ones in a lot of ways. Cause he's interviewed both of them. And there's just these guys who all have their own podcasts and talk for hours on end about, you know, life, the universe and everything. And uh, a lot of people don't like it. And that's, that's fascinating. Well, th- to build off what you said there, Bob, I, th- I think to me, one of the reasons why I, I actually enjoy being a spectator of all this stuff, um, because you do see tribalism, right? And you mm. see binary thinking that people have got to lump people in categories and in camps. And, you know, just the fact that somebody... And and I listen to Joe Rogan pretty extensively, and I listen to Sam Harris, and and I have gone into Ruben's camp a little bit and Shapiro mm-hmm. a little bit. But uh, if you really hear them and you listen to them and you try to understand where they're coming from, they're not these 
they don't deserve a lot of these labels, especially the negative labels that they're being put in. And that frustrates the hell out of me because all it is is just misconceptions that are being thrown around. And, and like you said, Jordan Peterson is, he's like a lightning rod right now because nobody can really pin down what he's saying because he <laughs> throws this, you know, very articulate verbal vocabulary soup that has all these big fucking words in it. And mm. no, and everybody's like, Oh, he must be smart because he's using all these big words. But the thing is, is he, he does think about what he says. And a lot of the interviews and debates that he's in, he says, no, I'm not going to let you slide on that interviewer because, you know, I actually am paying close attention to what you're saying. And he thinks very carefully about what he says. I think it was uh, just recently he was interviewed by Jim Jeffries, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that one. Yeah. This one, yeah, this one hit some uh, headlines because Jordan Peterson actually acknowledged that he might be wrong on something. Right. Uh, in the interview. And a lot of people criticized him by saying, oh, you know, obviously he's not as smart as you think he is. And to me, you know, at least where I stand, that actually increased my respect and the, the credibility I see him in. Because I felt like, well, at least he's actually freaking thinking about the stuff. And if he does feel like he needs to make an adjustment, even at the time in an interview, to me, that's really, you know, applaudable, I think. What yeah. was it that he said he might be wrong about? Do you remember? Yeah. Do we want to rehash that? I, I could give a little synopsis if you I, want. Yeah, go ahead. So this was about, um, you know, does a, does a store that makes cakes have to serve a gay couple and, and uh, make a cake that the gay couple wants? Um, and there's a lot of baggage with that as it's been in the news. And uh, I, I think part of um, what happened in that interview is kind of the juxtaposition between the old media model and the new media model that, that I was just describing, which is Jeffries was editing for comedic effect um, all these little snippets of his interview with Peterson, you know, sort of like in the old days when Jon Stewart would do it with his correspondence. Mm-hmm. I haven't really watched The Daily Show recently, but, you know, where you just nip and tuck the edits such that people say things in a funny way. And um, so... He was, and then, and then you try to get gotcha questions lined up for topics that the person maybe wasn't readily, um, you know, with, wasn't ready with an answer at the tip of their tongue. So Jim Jeffries first positioned it as like, um, how important is, is it for individual freedom or something like that? And, you know, how important is that to you? And, 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 uh, um, um, Peterson was really going down that path of like how we should let people, live the way they want to live and, and not require them to act. We shouldn't have government intervention. And then he brought up this scenario. And then Peterson was like, well, maybe I was wrong about that. But the problem with the discussion was it wasn't a real discussion. It was literally a 30-second sound clip in exchange wherein Peterson didn't have a chance to flesh out the his real point of view on that like he would if he was on a two to three hour podcast with, with one of these other people who isn't beholden to the, the, you know, I need my five minute clip of 27 edits. Um, and so on the one hand you had him apologizing for maybe not getting something right, but really it, and, and that kind of upset everyone in a way. Cause it's, it's like he, he couldn't win because on the one hand it's like, see, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then, you know, people who are fans of his are like, why did you apologize? And really like, it was almost a non-event because it was just so trite and without context or real discussion that it, it was just for comedic effect that it was generated in the first place. I, I still didn't quite get exactly what he was apologizing for. So, Did he take a position that um, 
the the store owners should be able to discriminate who they serve the cakes to. He did, but but it was because it was positioned in such a binary fashion. Um, okay. So he said, yeah, they should be able to discriminate. And that's a hard reality we have to deal with. And then Jim Jeffries um, said like, well, okay, well, what if it was like an interracial couple? Could they discriminate against that? And what's the difference? And then that's when Peterson was like, you know, you have a point. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that. But, mm. um, but what was lost there was the nuance. So like then if you listen to him in follow-ups and, and actually extend the conversation to what the different approaches are to that situation you realize that it's, it's much less a binary issue than it is for that 30-second soundbite because there's a huge difference between denying somebody access to your store and buying products off of the shelf, which, which is, should be illegal and is something that is illegal. Like you, can't, you shouldn't discriminate against people for walking into your store. But then somebody walking into your store and saying, I need you to make me something very specific, a cake with a swastika on it, then yes, you can say, no, I, I don't want to make that cake for you. And if that cake happens to be, you know, a gay couple on the cake or whatever, you can also say no. And that's where none of that could really come out in the discussion. And, you know, and then we can debate if that, if there are these, you know, degrees and lines where one, a swastika is not okay uh, to, or, or is okay to reject as a custom cake you want to make. But the discussion really should be about the customization and the, the forcing of somebody to create something for somebody else against their principles and not just somebody walking into the store and picking something off the shelf, which is how everybody reads it because they don't get past that initial soundbite version of the story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of builds off of Jordan Peterson's MO, I think, where to me, every time I think about what he's about to say, when someone asks him a question, it always goes to, well, it's complicated. Yeah. That's his MO. That's for sure. It's it's never clear. And and it takes forever to get a straight answer from him. And obviously we'll transition into this part, you know, the definition of truth. Um, I, I don't, I don't, this, I guess I should just say I, I am, uh, a mediocre fan of Jordan Peterson. I read his book as well. Um, I actually didn't like it. Oh, yeah? Which, which book? The, the 12, 12, okay. 12 Rules for Life. I was talking to Jake about this. I'm going to read this list. If you guys don't know the 12 Rules for Life. Okay, here you go. So you're going to read the 12 rules that he spent like 400 pages describing. That's this right. is my favorite. Yeah, go for it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> because, because it, you know, when you read the list, you're like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The number one is stand up straight with your shoulders back. Mm-hmm. Number two, treat yourself like some... <laughs> treat yourself I, like I some, liked that one, though, because he talked about yeah. lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> number two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Number three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Number five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Mm. (laughs) I agree with that one. (laughs) Yeah. Number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. (laughs) Don't be a hypocrite. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Number seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. That's a good one. 
Number 10, be precise in your speech. Number 11, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that's just, of all the rules, like, oh, okay, yeah, that um, makes sense. <laughs> see, number 12 is my favorite. Because number 12, pet a cat pet a when cat. you encounter <laughs> one on the street. By the way, bad advice. I, I just, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say, <laughs> did you read it Don't though? Don't pet a strange cat. <laughs> Don't pet Jake. a strange You have no idea where that cat's been. I, I've done this my whole life, even before he made it a rule. And where has it gotten me? <laughs> yeah i well look we all know about your ringworm <laughs> we all we all i told know. you that in confidence <laughs> i love cats um and I, I you know and he he actually in the chapter talks about how he's not necessarily a cat person more than a dog person it's more the principle of it mm-hmm. it's interacting with animals on the street hey, it's, it's really funny it's know. really interesting tom to hear that list like so uh, succinctly because, you know, like I got through, I got maybe halfway through the book. Maybe it was only like a third of the way through the book. And I would find myself in these really long chapters going, okay, now wait a minute. What was that thing again that he was talking about? Like I couldn't remember what they were because it seems like each one of those things was really just a MacGuffin to talk about whatever else he wanted to talk about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, I, I, I just thought he had a lot to say that was more interesting than those headers. And those were just yeah. kind of more self-aware. Well, I don't know how self-aware they are. I assume they were like, you know, wink, wink. This is just fun and games. But if you read the real words in the chapter, um, I've got some serious shit to, to bestow upon you. Yeah. Well, he, ta- he talks about the, the, the inspiration for it. it right. he, I guess he was on Quora and he was answering questions. And then he kind of combined all these things as to, well, you know, if I were to make a list of steps for life, this is what they would be. But he also couches everything as like, well, you know, and it might be different tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. Like nothing, nothing is stable with this guy. <laughs> like nothing, you can't put this guy in a corner to save your life. And, and as far as his definition of truth, nonsense goes. I think a good starting point is the concept of truth. I've heard you say in a variety of ways that religious truth isn't scientific truth. And that the difference here is that science tells you what things are and that religion tells you how you should act. Yeah, that's a good that. Well, um, I'm going to approach that obliquely to begin with. So so let me throw a couple of propositions at you. And and I know that you don't accept Hume's distinction between an is and an ought, you know, that you're willing to challenge that. And like, fair enough, you know. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about the essential philosophical contradiction between a Newtonian worldview and a Darwinian worldview, because those views are not the same. They're seriously not the same. The Darwinian view was a form of pragmatism, and the pragmatists claim that the truth of a statement or process can only be adjudicated with regards to its efficiency in attaining its aim. And so their idea was that truths are always bounded because we're ignorant, and every Uh, action that you undertake that's goal-directed has an internal ethic embedded in it, and the ethic is the claim that if what you do works, then it's true enough, and that's all you can ever do. And what Darwin did, as far as the pragmatists were concerned, was to put forth the following proposition, which was that it was impossible for a finite organism to keep up with a multi-dimensionally transforming landscape, environmental landscape, let's say. And so the best that could be done was to generate random variants, kill most of them because they were wrong, and let the others that were correct enough 
live long enough to propagate, whereby the same process occurs again. So it's not like the organism is a solution to the problem of the environment. The, the organism is a very bad partial solution to an impossible problem. Okay, and the thing that, the thing that about that is that you can't get outside that claim. Now, I can't see how you can get outside that claim if you're a Darwinian, because the Darwinian claim is that the only way to ensure adaptation to the uh, unpredictably transforming environment is through random mutation, essentially, and death, and that there is no truth claim whatsoever that can surpass that. Yeah, I mean, that is one of his biggest weaknesses, is that everything is contingent upon this infinitely regressible context, which could change at any moment in the future. And then there's this like ultimate end game of well, don't don't overthink it or overdo it because, you know, thousands of years from now we could find out that all the science that we're basing our life off of is wrong. And it's like technically that's there's a possibility that that's true, but I think we can operate in a world where we can just kind of run with the 2 plus 2 equals 4, Jordan, you know. Right. You know, a scientist with any sense would say, well, you know, our truths are incontrovertible. Let's look at the results and we could say, well, let's look at the hydrogen bomb. You know, if, if you want a piece of evidence that our theories about the subatomic structure of reality are accurate, you don't really have to look much farther than a hydrogen bomb. It's a pretty damn potent demonstration. And so then I was thinking, well, imagine for a moment that the invention of the hydrogen bomb did lead to the outcome, which we were also terrified about in the during the Cold War, which would have been, for the sake of argument, either the total elimination of human life or perhaps the total elimination of life. Now, the latter possibility is quite unlikely, but the former one certainly wasn't beyond comprehension. And so then I would say, well, the proposition that the universe is best conceptualized as subatomic particles was true enough to generate a hydrogen bomb, but it wasn't true enough to stop everyone from dying. And therefore, from a Darwinian perspective, it was an insufficient pragmatic proposition and was therefore, in some fundamental sense, wrong. And perhaps it was wrong because of what it left out. You know, maybe it's wrong in the Darwinian sense to reduce the complexity of being to um, a material substrate and forget about the surrounding context. So, so that, that's, that's the whole point of this, this episode, this, the definition of truth. Sam Harris is working diligently, like over the top, trying to nail him down. Like, okay, Jordan, there are facts that are indisputable. They are not up for debate. They're not some nuanced, complex, let's wait and see how things shake out bullshit. There are certain things that are objectively real. Where I disagree with you is you seem to be equivocating on the nature of truth here. You're using truth in two different senses and finding a contradiction that I, that I don't, in fact, think exists. So so as you say, we can build hydrogen bombs. And so the conversation about the structure of the atom, at the very least, the conversation about the amount of energy hidden in the otherwise nebulous structure of an atom, that becomes, you know, very well grounded in 
facts that we that we all can agree are are intersubjectively true. And that's what it seemed like he just kept pounding over and over and over again. And Jordan kept saying, well, you know, you got to take things into context. And, you know, there's different cultures and races and, and there's different perceptions. Like, I don't know how many excuses he used, but after a while, I was like, holy crap. It's just like he did. It felt like to me, he just didn't want to actually answer the question with the, okay, yeah, you're right. It seemed like he was a freaking politician just trying to avoid answering the question to me. And that's why it made, made me feel so angry. Like this guy's so slippery. He just, he has to have like an out at every left turn. He just, he won't sit down and say, okay, yeah. All right. There are objectively real things. There are facts. And that's what Sam Harris kept saying. There are facts that are indisputable outside of whether humans existed or not. There are facts. Yeah. And and Jordan would not (laughs) relent. He's like, well, you know, that's on our perception and we're looking through it through the lens of our consciousness. And who's to say that that's perfect and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh my God, he can't even just say, okay, the universe is real. No, 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 no. We're going to coach it like, well, it's through our conscious and our eyeballs. And you know how our eyes are. I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I'm not necessarily denying it. And I'm certainly not presuming that, you know, that what I'm saying is right. Because I'm trying to solve another problem at the same time. But you see, the thing about the scientific viewpoint is that it leaves certain things out. And it leaves out what it doesn't know, obviously. Although the same might be said for any other system of belief and should be. But it also looks at the world in a particular way. For example, it strips the world of its subjectivity. And it may be that that's a fatal error. Now, that doesn't mean that it stopped science from being unbelievably useful as a tool. But I think of science as a tool rather than as a description of reality. And, you know, that's, well, that's where we differ. And, and, it's f- fair that we differ, you know. It's, it isn't obvious which of those two positions could be held to be correct. Because, you know, you could say that the more we learn about the objective world, you know, in your realist manner, the h- higher the probability that we'll survive. And it's conceivable that those things are aligned in that manner. But it's also conceivable that they're not. And I'm uh, wary of that because radical changes produce unintended consequences. I mean, I can see that the thing I like about it, and my, my, my perception of Jordan Peterson is based entirely on the content of this interview. I don't really, I, I don't know anything. Oh, wow. About, uh, <laughs> his, his philosophy otherwise. But I did find myself, I, I liked the fact that he was, even though I, I agree, it was frustrating, you know, having him be relentless in this assertion that, like, oh well, everything that, basically saying that truth has to be tied with all the moral implications of what the facts that may be correct are. Like this, this I, I, even though that that was annoying to me in in this interview, I did enjoy. I, I liked the fact that he um, was stating his assumptions up front and saying, this is why I am saying, you know, that basically like saying, I am, I'm saying this because I'm coming from the lens of, of viewing truth as being tied to the moral implications. Like that, that clarity helped, I think, diffuse and kind of take the heat 
out of a lot of controversial topics that he might take on. So even though you, you disagree with him, it becomes more of a disagreement in philosophy rather than like a like vitriolic. Like I feel like there's this there there was something about it that I, he didn't he didn't strike me with like the smug the the the, the arrogance and just ir, the general irritation that I feel from uh, like people like Ben Shapiro or something. Yeah. Ben Shapiro just bugs the shit out of me just because I, just the way his entire MO just bugs the shit <laughs> out of me. Gordon Peterson, I'm like, I disagree with what you're saying, but I see why you're saying what you're saying. And you're saying yeah. it in a way that, that makes it clear that these are the assumptions I'm making and here are their implications. And this is why I am in this position. Yeah. Which I liked. Well, and if anything, what you're describing about Shapiro Sam Harris almost had a little bit of that in this. That was his weakness is Sam sometimes, you know, Peterson will be all cordial and be like, no, no, it looks like we just have a difference of approach and this, that, and the other. And then Sam will be like, nope, can't give you that. I mean, this is bullshit. And you need to, uh, it sounds like you don't even have a grasp of reality. And, and Jordan's like, okay, like I said, I guess we disagree. <laughs> and so Sam is a little bit in your face sometimes with his like, um, hey, we got to figure this out. And we were going to go round and round and round in circles. I almost put that more on Sam, but I understand his frustration. But then he has this, he has this tendency to get like criticized for his, his approach or his method or, or the word you use, Jake, I think smugness in a way, although I think he's not nearly as bad as Ben Shapiro, but there is this like, this aura of like, hey, until I can get you to come over to my side, we're just going to beat this dead horse. And so can, can you summarize really quick? What, what were the two different positions on truth? So Jordan, Jordan Peterson, basically, if if I understand it right, was saying something um, he, he doesn't consider anything true. If it, there isn't some kind of utilitarian benefit. Darwinian is the word he liked to use. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he had like this pragmatic versus Darwinian approach, which I, I took some notes on if we want to really get into what he meant by that. But, but so basically he was saying, if it, if it's not beneficial, then he doesn't consider it to be true. Is that, is, was that what you guys took away from his position? And that's what Sam kept arguing about. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, the good example that drove this home is Jordan liked to say, Hey, there's no fire in this room I'm sitting in while the house is on fire. So technically, according to Sam's definition, you know, there is no fire in the room, but Jordan is saying that's not real truth because the house is on fire. And so, and so Jordan wants to redefine truth based on its utility in terms of the ultimate survivor, the survivability of the person in question that's relying on these truths versus Sam saying, that's a different question entirely. Truth is independent of, of the consequences of right. bad questions being asked, which is, you know, limiting yourself to only the room instead of the house when you're, when you're analyzing what's going on. Um, and there's some sort of moral implications that Jordan kept going into. Like it depends on, you know, the, the ethical implications. Yeah. Sam kept asking about that. Like, why does that matter? Why does why, why, why does it matter? What, what the moral implication is of, what is true. And, and frankly, I, like when I listened to this for the second time today, <laughs> I, I still came out almost, almost exactly how I felt the first time I, I did. I disagreed with Jordan Peterson completely like yeah. all the way. And I was, comp- I was team Sam Harris all the way. I, I just don't understand how there's not an objective reality that's outside of your moral 
whatever. Like there, there are facts. And that's why I mentioned to you, Glenn, on the last recording that I had flashbacks of when you and Jake and Heather disagreed on the definition of fiction. You know, it's like, (laughs) Oh, well, it all depends. You know, there's, we all make our own fiction. And and I was like, now Glenn's using this extreme slippery definition of fiction that not everybody agrees on. And, And I was like, Oh, what, how, how is it that there's certain words that are, so loosely defined like truth and facts and reality and fiction how are they being misconstrued and misunderstood so easily here's here's what i took away from listening to it again today is is i i think that they both agreed that our ability to perceive anything is incredibly limited in in a number of ways both of them agreed with that Hmm. and so even if there is um objective truth out there um we're limited in in a lot of ways in our ability to perceive it and understand it and uh, one of the one of the points that peterson made that i thought was really good is that when you're doing a, a scientific inquiry you really control all of the variables so that you can isolate whatever it is that you're testing for and so you you put things in these like clinical situations and you test for it but then you go out in the real world and you don't, you can't control the variables and the variables influence whatever it was that you thought was true. And so you could have this domino effect that what you thought was true, it turns out to be something more than that or not that, or, you know, something different because it, it's outside. So what, what, what I got from, from Peterson was that people use this idea of truth because there is, truth out there that what I think is true must be it. And so that's a problem. And that what he really is advocating for is more humility in the way that people approach their positions on truth and and recognize the limitations. In fact, let's not even use the word true. Let's have true mean something else. And he's totally in the minority on the definition that he wants to use for truth. Believe me, This point I'm pushing is part of the reason that I got to where I got. It's exactly this issue, because I realized that it was necessary for for our attitude towards science to be nested in something else, which was a higher moral conception. And if if I'm not mistaken, you just made the claim that, you know, if there are scientific things that we could mess with that might destroy us all— it would be better if we didn't. Okay? Yes, but, but by what standard? We will get there, but okay. but they will be no less true. You clearly have to have a conception of facts and truth that is possible to know that exceeds what anyone currently knows and exceeds any concern about whether it is useful or compatible with your own survival even to know these truths. Okay, well, then I would say that I don't think that facts are necessarily true. (laughs) So I don't think that scientific facts, even if they're correct from within the domain that they were generated, I don't think that that necessarily makes them true. And I know that I'm gerrymandering the definition of truth, but I'm doing that on purpose because I'm trying to nest truth within a Darwinian framework, which I think is a moral framework. And I think that you're the logic of your argument about morality is going to push you in the same direction, inevitably. You're choosing, following Nietzsche here, you're choosing to use the word true. You're choosing to freight it with some moral concerns 
that will make it very difficult for people to understand what you mean and for you to understand what they mean when you use truth as a synonym for, as you just said, correct. A fact may be correct, but it's not true. Right. It seems to me this is this is counterproductive, and you lose nothing by granting that the truth value of a proposition can be evaluated whether or not this is a fact worth knowing or whether or not it's dangerous to know. No, but that's the thing I don't agree with, because I, I think that that's the kind of conception of what constitutes a fact that does, in fact, present a moral danger to people, a mortal danger to people. And I also think that that's partly why the scientific endeavor, as it's demolished the traditional underpinnings of our moral systems, has produced an emergent nihilism and hopelessness among people that makes them more susceptible to ideological possession. I think it's a fundamental problem, and I do believe that the highest truths, let's put it that way, the highest truths are moral truths. I'm thinking of that from a Darwinian perspective. And I I think that because Peterson... He, he came to prominence, and, and they talked about this at the beginning of the podcast because, and I, and I may get this a little bit wrong, but in Canada, they passed some kind of a law that you have to use gender-neutral pronouns, uh, and if you don't, then it could be considered a, a hate act, and you know there could be real ramifications if you use he or she instead of you know some, some ones that they made up that were like Z and Zem or something, I don't know. Yeah. And, and so he's saying, look, people... People become social justice warriors over these issues in the name of truth. And what they think they're doing is they're being uh, promoters of truth. And so truth can be um, abused that way and become this rallying cry for people. And it's not Mm. really truth. So I think that's what he's responding to. I think that's why he's got such a stick up his ass about truth and not conceding. Anytime Sam Harris is like this, but there are facts, there are facts. And he would say, yeah, no, I don't disagree with you about that. But what I do disagree with is this. And then he would give some kind of a nuanced thing that shows how even the things that we think are the most true may not be. There may be conditions where they're not. And so what's even the value of calling them true if they can be not true in other situations. No, yeah, you, you, I think you beautifully stated his position. And, and, and the problem is, and you, and you mentioned this, Jordan Peterson creates a slippery slope there. And that's why I actually commended Sam Harris for sticking to his ground. Like, I don't know what we were going to talk about today, but we are talking about this because we can't go forward. We can't actually talk about anything else if we've got a loosey-goosey definition of truth. If we can't even nail that down, then how am I supposed to move forward with having a conversation with you when I don't even know how you define something that's so fundamental as how Sam Harris defines truth? How should it be defined, though? I mean, is, is truth something that evolves? It's, it's almost like this, the, no. wh- whichever that heresy was of McConkie's about God being perfect or still evolving. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, is truth already truth or is it still evolving as truth? What does truth mean? Well, okay, yeah, there's a vague definition, I think, that can encompass a lot of things. But I think what Sam Harris was talking about was truth in, in like, the factual sense, in the scientific sense. When there's something that's true, like the earth is round or the sun, you know, the earth rotates around the sun, just very fundamental things. But if, but if Jordan Peterson's over here like, well, is it? Yeah, the universe could be inside of a square. Right. How do you know it's round? Yeah. It's like, uh, we, could, we could be on a disc. <laughs> I just <laughs> look at me. He's like Superman too, stuck like. <laughs> but that's the my hands, that's, but. 
that's the problem I think Jordan Peterson's uh, approach is. And, and I understand he has a much nuanced approach or whatever, but he creates a slippery slope that in Sam Harris's defense, he doesn't tolerate that shit. Like he, he wants to be able to build off of something, but if Jordan Peterson is so slippery and he's like, well, you know, let's, let's, let's create a backdoor even to facts. Like we can't even, we can't even like nail down something as fundamental as reality, how we, how we perceive reality. We can't even do that. Jordan He's like, well, yeah. And that's yeah. what, uh, well, and that, and the thing, and I don't think that it's just the, he's just create he's just promoting. Oh, let's be humble about what we know. Like he's he's create he's loosening the definition of truth enough to yeah. make a Bible shaped hole in it, so that yes. Like, oh, well, guess because 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 truth is truth is actually defined by the moral implications, and it can't be you can't have something that's true unless it's in unless it it, it uh you know conforms to an to like an ideal moral framework and oh guess what i just have so happen to have an ideal moral framework right here i mean it's probably the best one but you know it's, 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 uh, oh i guess by that definition only the things that i say are true because you thought he was you thought he was trying to set himself as as having a premium on truth yes because I think of christianity exactly what he's trying to set himself up i I, oh, I don't think so Really, Glenn? I, no, I, I, think, I think Jake's on to But again, I'm limited in my exposure to him. So I, I, I just didn't take that away from, from it. But I'm, not well, saying, maybe, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it's not true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it didn't come out as much in this, in this single interview. So kudos to Jake for seeing that. Because I, I have a theory about Peterson versus Harris in terms of their approaches to the meaning of life or whatever you want to call this. Um, I think Peterson is in it for the, the the short run. He's like the bridge, and and Harris is more the long run. So Peterson like retrofits uh, his his ideas and philosophies exactly as Jake stated, so that the so that there's this Bible sized hole that just so conveniently fits into it. And and his if you've if you've watched any of his lectures on the Bible and reinterpreting it for the modern day. Um, he does a lot of interesting stuff with it that that is valuable and full of wisdom, but is very like to me feels like a retrofit. And it's kind of the same way um, when I saw them live on stage. At one point, uh, uh, Sam asks Jordan, "So why don't you define what God means to you for me, so that I can understand?" And Peterson just went on and on. It was like this super complex like. Well, God isn't necessarily a person, but he could be. But then he's like morality, but not entirely. But then he's this, and then and then like at one point, Sam cuts him off and is like, "How many people do you think, when you ask, do you believe in God, would ha- would be even like within three deviations of what you just said?" <laughs> and of course, it's no one. And and that's just like Peterson's mo is retrofitting, you know, this way of these ancient stories making sense of the human condition. And, and Harris wants to just move on and be like, no, no, let's just reset. We're better than that. Humanity can do better than what these bullshit stories taught us for their time and place in the past. We can analyze them as historical artifacts, but why do we have to be beholden to them as these like genius morality tales that, that you think they are, Peterson? And I think that's their key difference is one is kind of, Peterson is kind of a little more beholden to the religion has a place and and is valuable in this in this storytelling morality way and harris wants to move past it and say it, it's a stepping stone we're past that let's just reset 
Well, I, and, and that's an area where I think that Sam Harris is wrong, you know, because really, I, I, yeah, no, be, be, because I think he's past it. That's great. Right. Most people are not past it. Most people are still in it. Most people are absolutely still in this place. Hence the One bridge the idea. About like, that, that, yeah. um, the follow-up conversation that they had a month after this one that we're talking about now, the, the one we're talking about now is episode 62 of Waking Up, and then the follow-up was episode 67. And on episode 67, Sam gave an example of just this little satirical thing that he created where he like randomly <laughs> opened up a book and he found a recipe, and then he started like spinning the recipe to have this significant religious, you know, like three is like the Trinity or, you know, like yeah, yeah. three teaspoons really of sugar. Is like, it's very funny. We should insert and, it, actually. It's pretty good. Yeah, I could put it in there. I walked into the cookbook section of a Barnes & Noble and with my eyes closed, just ran my hand down the shelf and grabbed a book and opened it at random and looked at the first recipe I saw. And the book turned out to be a book called A Taste of Hawaii, New Cooking from the Crossroads of the Pacific. So here is what I wrote in this endnote in The End of Faith. And therein I discovered an as yet uncelebrated mystical treatise. While it appears to be a recipe for wok-seared fish and shrimp cakes with ogo tomato relish, we need only study its list of ingredients to know that we are in the presence of an unrivaled spiritual intelligence. Then I list the ingredients, right? So there's one snapper filet cubed, three teaspoons of chopped scallions, salt and freshly ground pepper. There's a long list of ingredients. And then I go through with a, a mystical interpretation of this recipe. And I'll just give you a few sentences to give you a sense of it. Sounds like you're getting dangerously close to paranoid schizophrenic thinking there, Sam. That's the thing. I mean, this is obviously crazy because I know how I did this, but this is as valid sounding, or so I would argue, as most of what is produced in this genre. So when I say the snapper filet, of course, is the individual himself, you and I, awash in the sea of existence. And here we find it cubed, which is to say that our situation must be remedied in all three dimensions of body, mind, and spirit. Now, you have three teaspoons of chopped scallions. This further partakes of the cubic symmetry, suggesting that that which we need add to each level of our being by way of antidote comes likewise in equal proportions. The import of the passage is clear. The body, mind, and spirit need to be tended with the same care. Salt and freshly ground black pepper. Well, here we have the perennial invocation of opposites, the white and black aspects of our nature. Both good and evil must be understood if we would fulfill the recipe of spiritual life. Nothing, after all, can be excluded from the human experience. This seems to be a tantric text. What is more, salt and pepper come to us in the form of grains, which is to say that the good and bad qualities are born of the tiniest actions. And thus we are not in good or evil in general, but only by virtue of innumerable moments which color the stream of our being by force of repetition." Then there's a dash of cayenne pepper, clearly of being of such robust color and flavor, it signifies the spiritual influence of an enlightened adept. I go on and on, and this is all bullshit because it's meant to be bullshit. I mean, again, this is a random text that I'm giving a highfalutin spiritual interpretation of. But my point is, you can do this with anything. And religions have been doing this for millennia with specific books, which even by the merits of fiction, for the most part, I and mean, there's some exceptions here, I'll grant you that there's some bits of the Bible that stand comparison with the rest of world literature, but much of it doesn't, right? Most of these books are profoundly mediocre. The Quran is as mediocre a book as I've ever seen on any subject. I'll grant that maybe the Arabic is beautiful. I don't read Arabic, but the content of the book isn't. And this is true of most 
religious writing. And the, the fact that most people, most of the time, have found profound meaning in much of this work is not proof otherwise. I mean, again, if you found me a culture that was doing what I just did to a recipe in a cookbook, the fact that they had gone generation after generation enamored of that interpretation wouldn't prove anything. And, and his point was, see, you can do this with anything. Yeah. Okay. What is that proving? What is that? Like, so what? You're right. You can do it with anything. That, the, the, so so I, don't, I don't get the sense from Jordan Peterson that when he's talking about the Cain and Abel um, myth, that he's saying, this is true. These people really existed. This is, you know, this is the Bible-sized hole that I'm going to fill in truth with. But he's just saying, look, in, in this tradition that is absolutely formative in our Western culture, there are these things that we can glean, things that we can learn from this story that exists that's been passed down through hundreds and hundreds of, of years. And even if it's based on something that's no more valid or sacred or holy than a recipe out of a book, when, when just the human um, need to assign meaning to things and the ability to, to assign meaning to things, I think is a point in favor of religion, not against it. That could be true. Oh, go ahead. Well, and, and that's that's the part of um, Peterson's approach that I actually that I it it, it taps into something like a, a, an area of unease that I've had for a while, where I can't help but feel like when I look at you know, so I close friends and family that that adhere to Mormonism all the way, you know, and they're and they're right. super, and I can see like the meaning that they get out of it. And I can see the way that it's shaping their lives and their families' lives. And there's so many, there's so much good stuff that's coming out of that, that for me to be like, but there weren't horses, like feels right, like right. I'm missing the point, you know, yeah. like, like, it's like, I, I feel like I'm missing the point, but I can't go back to the point where I feel like there were horses. And I also right. can't go back to the point where I really take this story seriously, unless I take it factually seriously. Yeah. And so I, I feel like there's this kind of, there's there's this kind of vacuum and it manifests itself in like a lack of community and a lack of like a, a, a you know benevolent action and philanthropy that I have in my life now like I don't I don't give as much to that I don't serve a lack of like service there's just this lack of like community ties this this vacuum that's created by the fact that we can't I, I just have a hard time separating the 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 mundanities of the facts of the story from their moral purpose in a way that is that can actually like guide me on how to live my life and it feels my life feels a little more empty because of that and i feel like i am searching for something a little bit because of that and i feel like that's what J peterson's kind of pointing that out by by redefining truth to say like right. well it has to be according to a moral framework so i i see i i I, from that, in that sense, I do kind of, I, I see the point in what he's saying and it's kind of hitting on a, a, a point of unease for me, but at the same time, there weren't any fucking horses, man. Right. <laughs> but, but, but if, but if a belief in horses leads to these other benefits, um, in your life, then the belief that there were horses in the book of Mormon would be, well, a belief, yeah, according no, to what Peter's saying, I but you don't even have to go there. there. Oh, but they weren't, they weren't. <laughs> but, but, but and I uh, agree with you. I don't, I don't think that, that I, I don't agree with Jordan trying to reappropriate 
appropriate the word truth and have this mean something that it actually doesn't mean. I think that's a misstep. And or God or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, but I, I don't even think he, even though he's you know not next to Mormonism as we are, he wouldn't care. He would call this a metaphorical truth. So the fact that there weren't physical horses to Jake's point, which is like this factual claim that is not verifiable and is, you know, the other direction is pretty damn obvious. Um, he would just say, let's, we don't need to talk about that. That's beside the point. It's not like P- Peterson is, is team pretend they're horses. He's team. It doesn't matter. That's the wrong conversation. This is a metaphorical truth. And, uh, in some ways, maybe this will get me in trouble, but I, I feel like w- we've had a little bit of this discussion sometimes with, with, uh, with, with our very own infant John Hamer. Cause he's kind of, if you ask John Hamer to find truth or define God, he's not going to come up with like answers that, that you would necessarily expect or that would be like, you know, status quo. And that's to his credit. Like he's trying to repurpose what religion used to be and take the good parts and I'm going to butcher, you know, I'm sure he could insert himself here and say it better, but I find some interesting parallels that I can't help but bring up because there's like these two paths to this, to this worldview. It's like, do you take religion and try to repurpose it and redefine words that people aren't going to necessarily think of those definitions when they first use them? Or do you just disregard it like Sam Harris style? And you're like, ah, we're past that. Let's, let's, Let's redefine humanity now with what we know we know instead of like, oh, this was important at one point. Let's not let go of it, you know. Um, and I, I don't know that there's like a one right answer, but I, I, I think it's, it's a valid string of approach. I'm sick and tired of hearing things from a tight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth. And that's going to do it for part one of this discussion about truth and Jordan Peterson. Now, there's another hour of discussion coming up for part two, and I suspect that we'll probably be recording another follow-up discussion soon. So if there's any points that you have that you want to hear us discuss or any questions that you have for any of us, go to our website, find this episode, leave us a comment, and uh, we'll add that to the next time we record a discussion on this topic. Now, um, we will be recording another McConkie Deadly Heresy segment later this week. Uh, We'll also be reviewing the HBO documentary Believer. So that's some of the things coming up. Um, One listener emailed me last week and asked if infants could create a set of reverse missionary discussions uh, aimed at converting believing Mormons uh, towards ex-Mormonism, or at least to create some kind of a script to help believing Mormons better understand why ex-Mormons left. So who knows? Maybe we'll do something like that. And if you submitted a song for the songwriting contest that I said was going to be in July and maybe still will, I don't know. At some point, I'll get back to you and let you know what the next steps are to make that happen. And if you have a listener essay that you want to record and submit, we're still collecting those. So there you go. Lots going on with Infants on Thrones. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with part two of this discussion soon. Hi, this is Emily from Tacoma, Washington, and I like to listen to Infants on Thrones while preparing lectures on human sexuality or otherwise enjoying the perks of the PhD degree my church leaders told me I should never aspire to. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, 
And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.